Welcome to the Forgotten Heroines podcast. <laughs> to celebrate International Women's History Day, uh, we're going to go back to uh, something that happened in 1860, uh, right around this time. Her name is Clara Brown. Now, you may be thinking... That sounds familiar. Yeah. First of all, there's a weird thing where, like, for 150 years, most of the people who did impressive things in the women's field, like, they were all named Clara. So you got our Clara, you have Clara Brown, uh, the Angel of the Rockies, who is an ex-slave, who is much more remembered. Um, Clara Zetkin, you got Clara Fraser, you got Clara Barton, you know, the founder of the Red Cross. So anyway, apparently, parents, if you want your kids to grow up to be heroines, name them Clara. But this is Clara H. Brown. Um, and she was a 21-year-old unmarried factory stitcher from, I think, Lynn, Massachusetts, or Medford. Um, At this point, being in history, if you were 21 and unmarried... Right. She was an old maid. Hmm. For sure. Um... And in 1860, so she helped organize a strike of female shoemakers. Um, hey. And there was already, the male workers were already on strike. The women were not allowed to strike? Well, at first they were unsure whether they wanted to, which was strange because they were making only only a dollar a day compared to the three dollars that the men hmm. were making. But, but maybe if they were unmarried, it was their only source of income. I don't think so they were a lot all more unmarried. to lose. <laughs> and they needed shoes. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That was one of the things that um, separated the two sides of the debate. There was Clara and the shop girls who essentially um, were fighting for their own individual rights and to get, you know, not just higher wages, but there was something called the family wage, which essentially cut the individual wage of the woman and made it more, um, like, just relative to the whole household, which obviously instantiated men having more uh, of the money. Um, and the other side was sort of the women who worked at home, who obviously had less interest in working condition reforms or anything that had to do with these single women, and their whole point was, well, you should just basically be fighting for the men so that, you know, eventually th when you marry them, you can your whole family can be rich. It was a big, major strike. It made national news. The, the Abraham Lincoln what campaigned on it? it. He was, unsurprisingly to Lincoln fans, he was very pro the strikers and labor. He was pro the women strikers or only the male strikers? He didn't separate it by gender because he didn't see gender. Yeah, that's he not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> he was the first president to hold men and women equal. Just uh. kidding. That was the original Emancipation Proclamation. And then he yeah. was like, oh, right, the slavery thing. He read it to Mary Todd <laughs> late one night. Um, in she any was case. unimpressed. <laughs> Eventually, the women started flaking out under her. And this was mostly, um, you know, the home... And this was mostly the, the homeworker women who had been riled up by... Uh, some of the leaders, like um, Oliver, Willard Oliver, was one of the male leaders of the strike, and they sort of teamed with the home women of being like, women, please help us, but, you know, stay in your place at the same time. 
eventually, so they split the women vote, and a lot of people, um, one of them said, you know, we'd be at the meeting tonight, for they were going to have high old times, but if Clara B. dared to open her head, she was going to be kicked down the stairs. Um, and there's just, like, it gets really nasty and filled with invective, and uh, essentially they're trying to, you know, they eventually kick Clara's unit like off the stage and Oliver takes over and is the ladies ready to hear me and he's you know a big asshole and uh they keep calling her a hoe and saying like hoe her out hoe her out of course they meant the garden tool and not anything else but so anyway uh in 1860 uh there was a big march organized on March 8th and it was Woo! a blizzard so y- those of, of you who know New England uh you know we get our blizzards when we get a blizzard, it's a real blizzard. Not like down in the south, like in Atlanta, where there's an inch of snow and everyone's like, Snowpocalypse! How do you drive? What is this white element? We're really good at uh, jeopardizing our regional audiences. People are great. There was a big... <laughs> so on this date in 1860, March 8th, there was a big march, a huge march in support of the strikers, organized by Clara Brown and others. And, um, you know, this is sort of like the crowning moment, and in so- somewhat sadly and poignantly, the last moment is this parade is kind of her last involvement with the um, strike, which ends up going with, uh, you know, the homekeepers, and then the their husbands end up settling for lower and lower demands and, and start scabbing off, and um, eventually it's, you know the lack of following through on what she and the shop girls wanted. I think the bourgeoisie made it snow that day. That's true. A lot of people say that it was snowing. They did get some concessions in the end from management. They got slight uh, increases in pay. and they So they got $2 a day. And that's no, no, why no, no. we have the $2 bill. <laughs> <laughs> that would They'd... be 100% increase. No, they got... They invented the $2 bill... It was a huge moment, and Clara Brown, I mean, at 21, to take the reins and organize workers and, you know, preach sisterhood and all this stuff, uh, she was a pretty a pretty great woman. And there's, and there's so little about her kind of recorded. It, I mean, there is one uh, scholar, Mary Blewett, who has, I mean, she's where I got most of my information, and she has done a lot of great books on women and working women in history through in America in general. Um, but Clara Brown, definitely someone on this Women's History Day day to remember and raise your shoe to. If you're driving in a car right now, do not attempt this symbolic gesture. Do it when you get home. Yeah. She was mostly involved in, in the laces, so if you could hold them by that Part. Also unsafe to do while operating heavy machinery. Which women can do, thanks to Clara <laughs> Brown. <laughs> Let's talk about the women of Hollywood. Mm. I'm very interested in the role of women in early film um, history. Because they actually played a pretty prominent role and then essentially got pushed to the margins um, pretty quickly. And even this year, right, We there were great women directors and none of them got nominated or acknowledged. Greta Gerwig. 
Right, etc. Um, but we're going to talk about an actress first. Mm. I like them. Theodosia Goodman. Ah, her first name's a lot more interesting than her last name. Yeah, who's named Theodosia anymore? I don't know. Your aunt, right? <laughs> this is great patter. <laughs> when she became a Hollywood actress, she was a stage actress for a little bit, of course. And when she became a Hollywood actress in 1915, the studio changed her name to Theta Barra, which is an anagram for... Ratbreath? <laughs> yes, she was a Hollywood sex symbol <laughs> named Ratbreath. Um, they gave her this name because it anagrammed to Arab Death. She was from Cincinnati, guys, but the studio propagated this narrative that she was born in the shadow of the Sphinx. <laughs> Mm. And she was often she would do interviews with a sn- like uh, petting a, while petting a snake, and she was fond of wearing crowns, and so she, so she had she this- butt in. Mm, yeah, I mean it's interesting because she wasn't just this innocent, you know, easily manipulated tool of the studio, sure. but she knew that she could make a lot of money by buying into this image. And yeah. of course, as these things go, you know, she was incredibly popular for a few years and then disappeared, made to disappear, essentially. Yeah. But she, yeah, she leaned into it. She wait, wait, t- what do you mean made to disappear? I mean, <laughs> you'll, I, she, she didn't get murdered. <laughs> so don't worry. Mm. Um, but 1915 to 1919, she set the screen aflame with her passionate roles, portrayals of f- such famous figures as Cleopatra and Salome. So she's like the other Cleopatra. Yeah. Most of her films were destroyed in a fire. Oh. Because there was a, a major studio fire at Fox Studios, and then all her films were destroyed except one. There's only one that really exists. Mm. But she was in like 40 films sure. in a, a, a short period of time. Um, and yeah, she would talk about like mysticism in the interviews, and she would say like she believed that she has lived many other lives, and she was deemed the wickedest face, the most wicked face of any woman in America. And she was like, "Yes, I represent all the wickedness of the women." Um, but she was, she was a modern woman uh, with feminist inclinations. She even said. I have the face of a vamp, but the heart of a feminist. Uh-huh. Um, she so she often played the vamp character, which is essentially like you know the sedu- the seductress, and uh, so that was met with both you know great enthusiasm from some men, and of course great hatred and disgust by the more puritanical sure. Americans. So she would get like both death threats and marriage proposals. And she got, like, hundreds of letters every day during this time. Again, she's from Ohio, guys, like me. But she had this story that she... Which is basically... Her Her made-up biography is basically a Decemberist song. She was the daughter who grew up in the shadow of the Sphinx to an exotic mother who met 
uh, took an Italian lover who was a sculptor. So she was sort of both this exploited figure, but she was also kind of self-aware and understood that she was using her sexuality for power. She said, um, when people attacked her, she said, you know, whenever I try to be a nice, good little thing, you all stay away from my films. At the height of her popularity, there's World War One. Yeah. You know how that goes. <laughs> Sorry, German audience. <laughs> um, yeah. So she's fascinating. Theta when did Bera, her career end? What? When did it end? I mean, the, uh, the climax of her career was like 1919, which is essentially over there. Yeah. Well, it was... We're back home. And then women got the vote, and then, you know... It was all downhill from there. For her. For her. For her. <laughs> she moved back to Cincinnati, guys. That's when you know... That's a sign of depression. <laughs> Sorry, Cincinnatians. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our first Forgotten Heroines minisode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. Visit our site, ForgottenHeroesPodcast.com to learn more about all the heroines and the heroes we feature. We have a new spotlighted woman each day during Women's History Month, which is March. March.